Father, we just lift you up in your sanctuary, in your house. God, you were so good and so worthy of our praise, our adoration, our worship. So God, in your sanctuary this morning, God, we just worship you, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. You're so good and so amazing. So we worship you in your house this morning, God. We just lift you up. God, uh, we just ask, Lord, that you would anoint the preaching and teaching of your word and that, Lord, that you would open our hearts to hear what you have for us this morning. God, be glorified. We praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You may be seated, church. So like Adam said, he, uh, he's slacking off today a little bit. He was actually here a little bit before me, so normally we're like, sometimes he's here a couple minutes before me, sometimes I'm here a couple minutes before him, but... He, he was the early bird that got the worm this morning, but I'm excited to be teaching this morning. It's an honor. It's always uh, a challenge for me to preach and teach the Word. It, it comes with a heavy heart and a heavy responsibility of any person who is called to teach the Word. And uh, God says that He holds those to a higher standard. And so I don't take lightly uh, God's Word, and I hope that you guys don't either. And so I hope that your hearts are open and minds are open to what God has for us. Uh, as you can see, we're starting a new sermon series called Heart Matters, um, which was kind of a surprise to me this week, actually. Uh, I started diving into some stuff that I was going to look into teaching, and, uh, and Adam's like, yeah, I think we're going to roll with that. I, th- I think we're going we're gonna to go with that. So uh, it's exciting to, to teach what, what we have for you today. And so uh, good news is last time I spoke, I had one sheet of notes. This week I have three. So we're going to be here for a while, and we're going to be talking about some awesome stuff. Not really. Uh, it's, it's lengthier, just bullet point notes for me this week. But this week we're going to be in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 13. That's like six, seven, eight books into your Bible if you want to open up your Bible. If you have it on your app, the Bible app, feel free to follow along there. If you go to events, you can pull it up in your Bible app as well there. Um, and all the scriptures and some of the points will be there for your use as well. I encourage you to follow along with the Word there as you can kind of see how the Word is living and active and uh, sharper than any two-edged sword and can pierce the soul from spirit. And so as, as we dive in this morning, I'm going to give you a little bit of a backstory. We're going to be talking about uh, kind of the difference between this man Saul, who's the original Saul, not the Saul, Saul of the New Testament, obviously we're in the Old Testament here, uh, but the difference between Saul and his eventual replacement, David. We're all very familiar with King David. He's the guy that pretty much wrote every single one of the Psalms. So uh, he has some penmanship. He has leadership skills. He uh, has what God says is a heart. A man. He's a man after God's own heart. And so as we dive in this morning, that's what we're focusing on is what makes Saul, the original king of Israel, different than David. And so I'm going to back us all the way up to the days of Moses. Moses in the, the nation of Israel is enslaved by Egypt. Um, and so God sends all these plagues. Eventually Moses says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no, God sends plagues. Pharaoh freaks out. He says, get out of here. I don't want to put up with you guys. God does some awesome miracles to get Israel out of slavery and out of Egypt. Uh, Moses then goes up to Mount Sinai as given God's, uh, basically what we know is the Ten Commandments, but God's law uh, introduces that to the nation of Israel. Uh, They begin their kind of 40 years of wandering through some Uh, disobedience that they have within the nation of Israel. And uh, Moses eventually passes away and enter Joshua. And if you guys remember, we're here the last time I spoke, we spoke about Joshua. We spoke about how Moses' calling was to bring the nation of Israel out of Egypt, 
Joshua's calling was to bring the nation of Israel into, into the promised land. And so Joshua then leads the nation of Israel across the Jordan River into the promised land. They start defeating some of the people that are inhabited there that God says, hey, I've promised this land to you. It's yours. Go take it. Go claim it. So they start taking some victories. Eventually, just like every human being, Joshua also dies. So inevitable situation there. Uh, and then we're introduced to a couple books of the Bible that are very challenging, I think, where the nation of Israel is left without a given leader. Uh, God raises up uh, different prophets and uses these prophets for 20, 30, 40 years to kind of lead and guide the nation of Israel and uh, uses these prophets to kind of teach and speak to the nation as to what they should be doing in the direction they should be going. But then as soon as that prophet dies, is followed by a, a, a drop-off, like Israel walks off a cliff in disobedience and continues disobeying God, disobeying God. And then God rises up another prophet and the cycle just continues. And so the whole time the nation of Israel is saying, hey, we want a king. Every nation that we're going into to defeat, to claim this promised land that you're giving us, God, has a king, a man who is leading us and ruling us. We want a king. And so enter Saul. Saul is a man. He's a son of a very rich, uh, rich man from the tribe of Benjamin. Um, and he's noted as being extremely handsome, that there was none that looked greater than him. So I like to think he might look like me a little bit. Um, not really at all. <laughs> uh, was a whole head taller than everybody else around him. Uh, was just a guy that looked the picture. He looked like the King Arthur kind of king would be my guess, probably in a tunic and a robe and maybe a, a turban kind of thing. I don't know. But he looked the picture of a king. He's like, man, that guy is a king. That's, that's a person we want to follow. So God says, okay, I'm going to let you have a king. We're going we're gonna to play it your way and see how things go. And so we're brought to this scenario in 1 Samuel 13. And I've kind of summarized up to chapter 13. And so we're not going to read all of chapter 13. I'm going to summarize kind of the rest of it. Basically, uh, Samuel calls, or God calls Saul through Samuel. Samuel gives Saul some instruction. It says, I need you to do X, Y, and Z and wait at this point and I will give you direction. Um, and so Saul goes out. They go and have a great victory against the Philistines. Um, and then all of a sudden, next thing they know, they have a, they have, he has an army of about two to 3,000 men. Um, and then next thing he knows, the Philistines are raising up to meet up against them because of this little victory that the nation of Israel had. The Philistines come and raise up, and they have like 30,000 men of chariots and another 30,000 foot soldiers. So obviously, like 30, 60,000 men against 2,000 men, they're in a world of hurt. Um, and so we enter into where we're going to start in verse 8, where it's very typical or tradition for leadership to make a sacrifice to God, worshiping God and saying, hey, you know what? God, we can't do this. We worship you. We, ju we just identify that you are the king, or I guess in this case, not the king, because now Saul's the king, but that you're the one that's going to provide the victory. And so Saul is waiting for... Uh, waiting for Samuel to arrive. Samuel says, hey, wait seven days in this place. I will come and we'll do a sacrifice and then you can go to battle and you will have victory. Um, Saul eventually just gets sick of waiting. And anybody doesn't like waiting? Anybody impatient? Anybody? Just, just a few of us? Okay. We can, uh, we can wait through the sermon, I guess, and then we can talk about it. <laughs> um, and so we enter into verse 8. And so I'm just going to kind of read through it and we'll kind of dive back in. It says this, he, this is Saul, Saul, he waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel. 
But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, Bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. And as soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel said to Saul, What have you done? And Saul said, When I saw that the people were scattering from me, that you did not come within the days appointed, and that the Philistines had mustered at Mishmash, I said, Now the Philistines will come against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of your Lord your God, and he at which, with which he commanded you. For if you did, then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom should not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over the people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And Samuel arose and went up that day from Gilgal and the rest of the people. We don't have to continue there. I think we already see kind of where this is going. Saul was called by Samuel, who I guess if you want to look at this, this tier, God had called Samuel to speak on God's behalf. Samuel was leading and helping Saul uh, assimilate to this kingship. And Saul, or Samuel instructed Saul, I want you to go to this place, wait seven days. I will be there and we will give an offering and God will give you victory. Uh, and, Samuel, or, and Saul disobeys. And so a couple things that we start seeing here is, as we kind of take this in comparison to our lives, our walks with Christ, is how we can stay in a place that's on track with being men and women after God's own heart. First and foremost is when we are approached and confronted with impossible circumstances, we need to stay the course. Saul obviously saw something in front of him that was scary. His thirty to 60,000 men of soldiers against his 2,000 men. That just is an impossibility that I think all of us would say, that's probably not going to work out. But God is saying, you know, it doesn't matter what you see with your eyes. I have something else going on in the background. The second item that we see is that Saul had lost his calling. You see, Samuel gave him direct instruction. If you do these steps, God will give you the victory. God will give you the victory. Saul decided to take matters into his own hands. He stepped out and he did something that he wasn't instructed to do. In uh, 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 8, when Samuel is actually instructing Saul what to do, he says, Then go down before me at Gilgal, and behold, I'm coming to you to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait until I come to you and show you what you shall do. Long story short, friends, Saul disobeyed. He disobeyed God, which is leading to his final demise. And then what Saul ends up doing is he, he gives an offering, a sacrifice of worship, which in itself is not a bad thing. You look at it on the, the, the surface level, what you see is offering burnt offerings. It's historically, that's what the Old Testament does, or the people of the Old Testament do. They would give offerings to the Lord in this, in this sacrificial manner. It's an act of worship. But what does he say himself? Let me, let me find it again. Um... Maybe somewhere in here, somewhere. Verse 10-ish, 11-ish. In verse 12, the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. And he already recognizes his own sin by saying, I forced myself 
and offered the burnt offering. He knew what was correct. He knew what was the right thing to do. But he turned his back on what was right and did something just because he thought it had to be a box that was checked in order to have victory. And friends, that's not what God is saying. God is saying your obedience is what leads to victory in your life, and your circumstances. Your obedience to following the calling of God is what will lead you to victory. I want to read this, song, or this proverb to you. Uh, this comes out of Proverbs 21, verse 27. And it says this, The sacrifice of a wicked man is an abomination. And how much more when he brings it with evil intent. You see, worship, following through with a task that you think God is calling you to, but doing it half-heartedly, doing it without conviction that God is in it and behind it, it's an abomination to the Lord. God is calling you your whole heart, your whole person, everything you are to be obedient to Him and the calling that He has on your life. So now we have the fall of Saul and he's had this horrible sin and and then Samuel says, hey, you know what? If you had been obedient and if you had waited for me to come to give the sacrifice, your kingdom would have been established forever in the nation of Israel. And he says, but because you did not obey, God has called somebody else. God has called a man after God's own heart. And so now enter David. And I want us to watch a little video um, that I think might seem a little different on the, on the front end, but as we get into it and we start talking about this a little bit more, you'll kind of understand a little bit as to what we're talking about with this video. Dive into this video and enjoy. Tim, can you go higher? Yes, you can. 
You can take one hand and do a bunch of different stuff. Pointer, hatchet, schoolroom. Release the doves, give the Lord a high five, press it out. A lot of women like to wash the window. Wash the window. And when you're comfortable there, go for the big three. Village people, Rocky touchdown. There you go, there's your big three. All right. Not to back that up with any kind of comedy of my own, so it's not going to happen. But, And as a worship pastor, I'm not telling you you got to be one of these guys or the TV holders or anything like that. I'm telling you, it's a heart thing. As it stems from your heart. You can raise your hands in worship. You can, you can do something like this. You can do the Mufasa, whatever you want to do, carry the TV. But if your heart's not there and you're doing it because it's an action you think needs to be done, Saul has proven to us God's word has proven to us that that is fruitless. And that the sacrifices of an evil man, of an evil heart, are an abomination to the Lord. So church, as a worship pastor, if I see you doing this, great. But I hope your heart is there. I hope you're worshiping in a way that's saying, God, I'm in surrender to you. I was telling Adam this morning, I'm not really a hand raiser. I, I just, it's just not who I am. I, I don't know. I'm... I just sometimes I'll do it, sometimes not. I'm probably more of a, what was that? The hold my baby, hold my baby kind of guy. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm the one hand. I, I don't know. I got a question teacher kind of thing. But where was I going with that? Oh, yeah. So uh, I remember talking to this guy one time, and, and he was talking about, you know, hand raising in churches. And he wasn't for or against. He just simply had this this thought, and he said, what is the first thing you do if somebody comes up to you and holds a gun to you? I surrender. I'm of no, um, I have no evil intent towards you. I'm not going to do anything bad. I'm yours. Have with me as you please. And the idea behind that and something like that, I can grab hold of. It's a heart thing. A guy comes to you and you put your hands up and you're like, no, no I'm going to come after you actually. You know, maybe it's a ploy, but that's a different intent. And so church, as we live our lives, our walk, that doesn't apply just to musical worship or just church life. That applies to your walk with Christ in every element that you do. God is calling you to walk through a door and you just walk through it because, okay, I'm just going to do it. I don't want to do it. I'm just going to do it. It's a heart thing, church. As you walk through that door, God is going to reward you for your obedience in faith, not because of your obedience in, uh, I don't know, disbelief. So as we continue, we see the call of David, and, and as we get into Samuel 16, uh, Saul is getting kind of frustrated because God has demoted, or excuse me, Samuel is getting frustrated because he has demoted Saul from kingship. It, sort of over time in God's timing. But he hasn't actually called somebody yet. And so God tells, uh, God tells him this. He says, But the Lord says to Samuel, Don't look on his appearance or his height or his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. For man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So Saul is instructed by God to go to the house of Jesse. He's got eight sons, nine sons, something along those lines. Um, and God is saying, my anointed one is among this family. But I don't want you to use your eyes and look at a man as you would see a man. I want you to look at the man's heart as God would see a man. And so 
Saul goes to the house of Jesse. Jesse's like, oh, this is awesome. One of my sons is going to be king. And so he lines up all of his oldest sons and all this stuff and leaves David out to shepherd the sheep. And so Saul kind of looks at each, each one of these sons and says, or Saul, Samuel, I keep doing that. Why do they got to use all S names? It's brutal for me. Samuel looks at each son and says, no, that's not him. 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 Jesse, what's going on here, man? God has told me that God's anointed one is here. Do you have any more sons? Like, what are you doing to me? And, and said, yeah, my youngest son is, is out shepherding the flock, but he's young, he's immature, he's small, he's squat, he's rudy, kind of whatever. Not rude, rudy, but that's, yeah, rudy, rudy. Um, and so he said, bring him to me. And so sure enough, uh, God says, hey, that's, that's the king, that's the next king. And so uh, enter the long process of, of David and Saul having this interesting uh, connection, I guess. If you want to read through that, read through First and Second Samuel. Some challenges that uh, really the entire book of, of Psalms is really stemmed out of David's challenges with Saul. As you have a man who's in leadership who does not want to give up leadership, and you have a man who has been brought into leadership who's extremely humble, and his heart is after the Lord. And seeing this play out between a guy who just wants to get rid of David and David who says, Saul, you're still king and I'm not doing anything until God calls me somewhere, uh, is, a, is an interesting challenge. But this is a couple points that I see out of uh, the correlation between Saul and, and, uh, and David. First, Saul fit the earthly mold of what a king should look like. He was big, he was strong, he was tall, he was handsome, he was rich. He fits everything that looks like a king. Um, but then we see this that Israel asked for a king and God gave them exactly what they were asking for. You see, Israel, the nation of Israel, didn't even know what they wanted. They wanted just a man to lord over them instead of having to dialogue with God. They wanted somebody face-to-face -to, -face to tell them what's going on. But you see, then God provides this king to show them how wrong they were and saying, hey, you know what? You don't want a man telling you what to do. You want the Lord God telling you what to do. And so then the last item that I see is that Saul's replacement, God chose a king that he wanted for his people. He chose David, and he calls him a man after his own heart. And the challenge for me that I've always wondered about that is what makes David so special? Nothing. Nothing. He went through trials beyond trials beyond trials, things that we would never see in our lives. Uh, he had a man who every day of his life was trying to seek after and destroy David. And yet he stayed the course in faithfulness to what God had called him to. His heart was after God. Church, there's nothing special about David other than the fact that he was living for God. Every decision, every action, every step that he made was seeking after the glorification, the lifting up of Jesus Christ. Well, not Jesus, I guess at that point, but of God. Church, that's all God is asking for us. You see, uh, God says this, or in 1 Corinthians, he says, Paul says this, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He, he chose somebody who's not smart to put to shame somebody who's super smart. And then God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. He chose somebody who's very weak to be able to bench press 100,000 times more than what the strongest man in the world ever could. And it's beca not because of the ability of man or woman, but because of the ability of God. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, uh, it says this, for, 
My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. And most gladly, therefore, I will boast in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell within me. Church, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about Adam. It's not about this church. It's not about this city, this state, this nation, this world. It's about the power of God who when you when you call out for, to Christ for salvation of your sins, He comes and joins Himself with you. You then have the power of God living in you. But you can only tap into that power when you say, I am the strongest when I am the weakest. God, I step aside and, and I say that I can't do this because I simply cannot. And I step aside in a way that says, God, only you can do this. That's exactly what David did. On a day-to-day, moment-by-moment thing, Church, it's just, it's a heart thing. It's all about where your heart is aligned with what you see with your eyes versus what God is telling you He knows. As we press on, I, I want to touch base on this Psalm 51. David writes this psalm in one of his weakest moments. You see, David, like I said, did nothing special other than seek after God. He also is a sinner just like you and me. Lusted after another man's wife. Um pursued that endeavor and decided he really wanted this woman for his own. So he sent this woman's husband off to war, trying to get him killed. It didn't work. He came back. He was fine. So David did it again. He sent him off to war again, except he said, hey, let's devise a plan. We're going to have him go to the front of the battle line, and we're going to blow. Everybody's going to know about the retreat call except for this man. And we're going to blow the retreat, and we're going to retreat, and he's going to be left hanging. And so through the actions of David, this man was, was killed. And this is one of the responses of David when God finally gripped his heart. Uh, he says this, he's speaking to God, For you will not delight in a sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Church, he recognized his sin and he confessed his sin. He repented of his sin. But then he gives us one of the most incredible Bible verses, in, in my opinion, the entire Bible. You don't want sacrifices or burnt offerings, but God, you want a broken and a contrite heart. It's not about what I do, it's about how I do it. It's about the mindset, the mentality, my heart, the, the desires of my heart as to what is actually accomplished. You see, church, God wants you. He doesn't want your actions. He doesn't want your accomplishments. He doesn't want your things. He wants you. The, the best act of worship that you can ever give to God is just by laying your life at His feet and saying, it's yours. Take it. One of the most common verses about this is Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, and it says this, I will appeal to you, brother, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but, by the, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. Church, He calls us to be a living sacrifice. What's a sacrifice? It's something that dies, right? You don't go up and say, I'm going to offer this sacrifice, and you put the lamb on the altar and 
cross your fingers, something happens. The sacrifice process is the letting of blood. The Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there can be no salvation. And so Jesus came as the ultimate sacrifice for us and showed his love and has proved his love towards us there. But God is telling us that you are to be a living sacrifice. What does that mean? I am a person, a human being that has a mind, I have emotions, I have a will. I have things and desires of my own. God is saying, lay it aside. Because when you do that, God is saying, I'm going to bring you to a point that you could never step into before. When you close your eyes and say, God, I'm not going to put this step in front of me, but I'm going to trust that you're going to do it for me. That's the very moment that God is saying, you will achieve, you will accomplish, you will have so much more happiness in this life than you could ever obtain on your own. Because it's about the heart, church. It's not about what you could ever accomplish on your own. It's about what God can accomplish through you. And you see, God, or Saul, through his process, he saw a task in front of him and said, oh, I have to check these boxes in order for God to have victory. And God's saying, no, I'm going to have victory in whatever I do on my own. The question is, is do you want to be part of it? Are you and your obedience going to be part of what God is leading and guiding and molding into this world in His victory? Because, church, get this, God has the victory in everything. It might seem like a bad circumstance, but what the enemy means for evil, God means for good. And so the question is, is do you want to be part of God's victory or do you want to be against God's victory? Because there is no delineation. It's you are for or against. So what's our calling, church? If Saul was called to be obedient, to give a sacrifice in a holy way through, through, through Samuel's sacrifice so that God would create victory through him, if David was called to be a man after God's own heart and he sought after God diligently, I challenge you with this. Psalm 24. This might sound very familiar to you, and I hope it does. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? What he's saying is, who's going to be with God? Who's going to be for God? Okay? With that mindset, let's take the rest of it. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. This is a man after God's own heart. This is a woman after God's own heart. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. What a promise, church. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Church, our calling is to surrender before the Lord. If you feel like you're in a rut with your family, with your job, with your spiritual walk, surrender. God says it right here plain as day. Plain as day, he will receive a blessing from the Lord. He will receive blessing, excuse me, not a blessing, blessings from the Lord and righteousness from God. Turn to the Lord. Turn to the Lord. As we come to our part of closing, as we respond to what God has called you, I just I want you guys to bow your heads and close your eyes and God is calling us to something, church, and the question is, is what is He calling you to? As we 
continue down this path and, and start a new sermon series of, of a heart thing? Where's your heart? This is work between you and God. This isn't work between you and me. This is, isn't work between you and the person sitting next to you. You see, if you're stepping out and you're doing something because I'm in this room or because the person sitting next to you and is in this room, that's abomination to the Lord. But if you're doing business in this time with God and you're responding in a way that God is calling you to because your heart is in it, because you desire the things that God has for you, that you want the things that God has in store for you, that's the business that needs to happen in this place this morning. So church, as we respond this morning, as always, we just are going to have some time, some quiet time. Spend it in prayer. Spend it responding to God in the way that he's calling you to. The elements of the table are at the back available for you if you want to take part in that and say, hey, I'm a daily partaker of the blood and the body of Jesus Christ. I'm surrendering to what he did, his work on the cross. Our offering basket is in there. If you want to give sacrifices of what God has already provided to you, that you would respond in a way of obedience of giving back to him. But church, there's something else back there this morning. There's a bucket of water or a, a bowl of water. That sounds a little bit better. A bowl of water back there and a towel. And do you need to be the person who has to go walk back there and say, God, I need to have clean hands. I have sin in my life. I have this in my life. I've been living contrary to your word. I've been living contrary to the calling that you have on me. And do you just need to respond in a way by putting a stake in the ground and saying, God, I'm washing my hands before you because I want to be clean. I've already confessed faith in Jesus Christ as my Savior, but I'm not walking in a way of obedience and, and living a life that is called by you. I'm, I'm doing things because I think I need to. Because I think it looks right. But God, I'm ready to wash my hands. I, I want to have clean hands. I want to have a pure heart before you. I want to approach your throne room. I want to be in your presence. The water and the, the towel is back there available for you. So Father God, as we respond this morning, Lord, I just ask that we would be mindful of our heart. Because God, if we're responding in a way that is simply, uh, look at me, look at me, look at me, God, that's an abomination to the Lord. It's an abomination to you. But Father, it's my prayer this morning that we would respond in a way that says, God, I surrender to you. God, you have a calling on my life. You have purpose for me. And that God, I want to be obedient to that calling. So Father, Holy Spirit, move in this place. Move as you would. Touch the hearts of your people and penetrate, God, that you would convict us of truth and righteousness. God, that you would just draw us to yourself in a way that would change us forever. So God, be glorified in this time. Be glorified in the response of your people. God, we love you. We, we give this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen.